Good morning. morning. My name is Abe. I am the junior high pastor, uh, and so it is good to talk to people who are no longer in puberty this morning. Uh, It's good to be in front of you guys. Um, It it is a privilege to be here um, to continue the Sola series. Uh, Today we are going to uh, be looking at Sola Gratia, by grace alone. Uh, Currently I am uh, taking a preaching class in seminary, and my preaching professor told the class, He says that Christians, we are so quick to say, Jesus is the answer, right? We say Jesus is the answer. And uh, and the world uh, begs the question, uh, the answer to what? (laughs) What is the problem? What is the problem that Jesus is the answer to? So today, uh, we will hopefully articulate what the problem is clearly. And after addressing what the question is, we will help with the help of Scripture and God give an answer to that problem. Uh, Would you join me in in prayer? Lord, we thank you um, for your grace, because without it, we would be lost, separated from you. And you showed us your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are grateful for the work of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we will try to answer these questions. Um, I just want want to give a shout out to Pastor Paul. He is a a wizard when it comes to PowerPoint. And so I'm I'm standing on the shoulder of a PowerPoint giant. So I'm using his slides. Um, uh, What is sola gratia? We will try to explain that today, answer that today. What is sola gratia? Why is sola gratia still so important and relevant even in today's world? And what practical ways can we uphold sola gratia to reform today's church, culture, uh, and trends, and, and basically ourselves? And so we'll try to do that today uh, 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 the best that we can. Um, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I said, what is the problem? What is the problem uh, that Jesus is the answer to? And the problem is, is the human condition. The problem is sin. Uh, uh, some might say uh, that my sin is small. Can you do that? Can you put your hands out there? My sin is small, right? Small. I know. I, I showed this to my dad uh, one time. I said, oh, "Just give me, just give me a little bit. Just give me a little bit." And she said, "Oh, you mean a little bit?" <laughs> and he put his hands like this, right? My, my, our sins are small. Maybe your sin is this size. Maybe your sin is this size. And you, you look at your sin and you think, you know what? It's small. Uh, you know what? I, I, I didn't kill anybody. I'm not a murderer. Um, we, we minimize sin. We feel like sin is not that big of a deal. And in minimizing sin, we are actually sinning. It's, it's, it's a trap, right? We deceive ourselves. Um, self-deception is rampant in our lives. And whatever sin it may be that you struggle with, uh, big or small, sin is disobedience. It is our rebellion against God and sin separates us from him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And later in chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death. Ouch. The wages of sin is death. Um, So we start there. We find ourselves dead in our sin. And that's where we begin this morning. Um, 
So if you can turn to uh, today's main passage, Ephesians 2, we'll read along once more. Um, It states, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desire of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. Here Paul is saying, we are, he says we are dead, dead in sin, and that by nature we are, um, in verse 3, children of wrath. And because of sin, we deserve the wrath of God. Because of sin, we deserve the wrath of God. God is a just God, and because of our rebellion and the following of the desires of the flesh, we are separated from him. We are separated. We are dead. Um, so what now? <laughs> what do you do when you're dead? Nothing. You just, you just lay there. There's... When you're dead, spoiler alert, you can't do anything. You, 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 you just lay there. Let's continue in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I've, I've read this passage quite a few times this week, and uh, um, I didn't cry the first time because I was trying to understand what, what, what Paul was trying to say. But it's so beautiful. When you take the time to look at this passage again and again, I was kind of depressed during verses 1 to 3. I don't know if you guys were. Um, I mean, you were dead. We are dead in sin. But it says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, not rich in criticism, right? Not rich in condemnation. Not rich in anger but one that is rich in mercy. And out of his great love, he loved us. We were dead, but he makes us alive together with Christ. I mean, can I get an amen? We were dead. It was done. We could not save ourselves at all. And it seemed like it could just end right there. But verse 4, thank God for verse 4 and on. But God, who's rich in mercy. Let's read this together. Verse 8. Can we read this together? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Sola gratia or by grace alone, means God loves, forgives, and saves us, not because of who we are or what we do, but
but because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that is the good news. It's not of what I've done or how great I am or what I've accomplished. It's, that, that doesn't matter. It, it's the focus is on Christ and the work of Christ that he's done on the cross. God loves, forgives, and saves us, not because of who we are or what we do, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. We were dead in sin. We are saved by grace. And grace is truly a gift. Grace is unmerited favor. We do not deserve it. We don't expect it. We have no claim on it. God doesn't owe us anything. And yet God, rich in mercy, makes us alive together in Christ. I have some quotes I would love to share with you guys. This is from uh, Carl Truman. Um, It says, dead in trespasses and sins, human beings are as passive as corpses in securing their own salvation from sin. Lazarus cannot raise himself from the dead, and sinful human beings are equally unable um, unable to become new creation in their own strength. As Christ called Lazarus from the tomb, Christ calls morally dead human beings to life, unites them with himself, and enables them to live in the new creation. He goes on to say, grace is not God giving wholesome advice or a helping hand. It is God raising someone from the dead. First Christ and and then those who are in Christ. Sola gratia, by grace alone, is moving from, I mean, Actually, we weren't moving at all. We were just dead in our tracks. And, 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 and the good news is, because of God's mercy, he calls us from the tomb, like Lazarus, right? And that is something that I feel like the church has, has, has not really talked about. Um, sin is, is a touchy subject, and in this modern day and age, Sin has become something that we don't really want to prolong or, or give guilt trips to people. Uh, we want people to feel good about themselves. I heard America, American students have the highest self-esteem. They're not really good at math, but they have really good self-esteem. <laughs> and and, and I, I wonder why that is. And I wonder if that is the case in, in our churches as well. Um, in one of the commentaries, it states that uh, of, of Ephesians 2, the biblical answer to the problem of death is resurrection, right? The biblical answer to the problem of death is resurrection. And we cannot be resurrected to new life if we pretend like we're not dead. We cannot be resurrected if we pretend like we're not dead. Dead in sin is dead in sin. It's not half alive in sin, right? It's not Sin kind of makes me tired, you know? No, it's, uh, when, when I was a college student, I, I, I lived in Irvine, and uh, uh, man, there was, there's a lot of rodents in Irvine for some reason. Uh, Irvine Company needs something about that. But there are these uh, uh, mice that got into our, 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 our apartment, uh, our townhouse, uh, is, is, is in uh, Oxford Court, uh, and uh, it's right next to UC Irvine, and uh, uh, there were nine of us living together. It was like, 
It was like, a, you know, an orphanage in Irvine, right? <laughs> and, and every single person decided to bring a bag of rice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why. There were so, nine bags of rice in the kitchen, right? And so, you know, there will be spills in here and there. And so uh, mice will infiltrate our home, right? I remember one night we were playing, um, uh, I'm going to date myself, Sega Dreamcast, and uh, we were playing Capcom versus SNK, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, we hear this, we hear the sound, and we're like, what is going on? And we turned on the light in the kitchen, and a little mouse just went scurrying into to the fridge, and we're like, oh my gosh, what has happened, right? And so we went into full battle mode. Um, we got trash can lids and like pots and pans. Uh, one, we, we were shaking the oven so hard. One of my roommates was shaking the oven so hard, the oven uh, glass broke, uh, which he had to pay for out of his rent money, right? And so the, the mouse ran out. My friend got a broom and hit the mouse, and the mouse fell on its back, right? It was not dead, <laughs> but it was pretending to be dead, or it was in some kind of crazy shock, right? I think about that moment, as silly as that sounds, we pretend to be dead, right? We think in our spirituality, man, like, oh, sin, you know, I'm, not, I'm not that bad of a sinner. Uh, I can do these things. I can do uh, these volunteer stuff. I can serve the church. I can do these. I can donate my time, my money. Uh, I'm not really dead. I can save myself. And that is what we say with our actions. We'll never say that with our words, but we say that with our actions because that's what the world tells us, right? We're not that bad. Human beings are not that bad. You know, we're good people. We just make mistakes, right? Whenever a celebrity does something wrong or, or, or an NBA player does something wrong or an NFL player, something goes, you know, they go up to the press and they say, I wasn't being myself. You know, it was like a collapse in judgment. Um, so who did that, right? That person did it. Right? The sinful nature of man. Self-deception is a big part of that. And um, to know that we are truly dead is part of the gospel. Right? It's, it's, it, you have to know that. And uh, we downplay, like I said, the minor mistakes of a problem. We think that a problem can be fixed over time. The problem of sin can be fixed over time. If we go to church enough times, if I go uh, to mission trips enough times, if I do these things, over time, I'll be a better person. Um, but if that was the case, Jesus did not ha- would not have had to come to die on the cross. I mean, our actions say something uh, to the contrary of the gospel, right? Um, if it was such a small issue, if sin was such a small issue, uh, then, then Jesus didn't have to become uh, a man. He wouldn't have to come... Uh, and be the word become flesh. Uh, the incarnational work would have been uh, unnecessary, right? Uh, he could have just, from heaven, with his heavenly checkbook, just written the check, right? Here you go, humanity, right? $35 a month. And he will send it down to us. No, we were dead, dead to sin, right? We need to be saved and made alive in Christ. And I feel like that's why grace is amazing. Grace is scandalous, and I'm sure you've heard that before. Grace is scandalous because what we deserve is the wrath of God. Because of our sin, we deserve death and hell. And yet by his grace, his scandalous grace, Jesus takes our place and takes death and hell before 
being resurrected to new life. Jesus invites us into that as well. I have a quote from Martin Luther. I have to bring a quote from Martin Luther, right? It is the Reformation anniversary after all. This, this good old German monk. This is, this is a great quote. And I feel like you should, you should try to memorize this, right? Um, you'll see it. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is there, I shall be also. Many times, um, the devil condemns us, tells us, he whispers these questions to us. He says, are you sure you're a Christian? All right. Are, are you really a son of God? Are you really a daughter of Christ? Because you struggle with X, Y, and Z. Right? You have these issues. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I hope that you can maybe memorize this, put this somewhere, and, and you feel like that attack coming on. I mean, it's fascinating. I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked the youth group uh, on a Friday night, I asked them, um, how many of you guys hear the word of God, right? If it's audible, yes, audible. If it's through the word of God and in your quiet time, it's through worship, it's through maybe the encouragement of your parents, whatever it may be, how many of you guys hear from God? You hear his voice. You hear it in your heart. What it, so I asked that question, and like, like, Maybe like four or five people kind of have, like, oh, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, maybe, you know, they kind of raise their hand, and most everybody kind of looked down in shame, and I wasn't trying to shame them, I was just, I was asking honest question, how many of you guys hear God's voice, and they're like, mm. you know, they're not really sure, and I said, how many of you guys have heard the voice of the enemy? And almost every hand went straight up. It wasn't even like this. It was like this. These are our junior high and high school students, right? I won't name who, but one, one of them, I said, well, wait, 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 like, what, what do you hear, you know? And, and, and one of the students said, oh, man, like, sometimes my sister does something to me, and the enemy tells me to hit her, you know? <laughs> I mean, as, as silly as that is, I, I, the enemy speaks to us, but I feel like, Truly, God speaks to us as well. And, the, and, and here, even, even Martin Luther saying this, you know, <laughs> secret identities, all right? And so what is and what is not sola gratia, okay? And so there's some common misunderstandings of sola gratia. I would love to read Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? As we continue in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not... Uh, know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It does not mean that I can continue to sin as much as I want. Sola gratia does not mean we have a license to sin. It, uh, um, we, we might think that, oh, grace abounds the more I sin. No, Paul is, is speaking clearly into that, 
as, as, as amazing as grace is, um, this is not what we're called to be, people who can just choose to sin because they feel like sinning means more grace in their life. That is not true at all. Um, I have uh, one more quote that I'll come back to, the good works part. It says, those lacking a theological background would have come away with the impression that grace was simply a divine sentiment, a decision or a tendency in God to overlook sin as, a over, as an overindulgent parent might when dealing with a naughty child. Grace seemed to be nothing more than God turning a blind eye to human rebellion. It was as if grace were a free pass to do whatever one chooses. And that is not what grace is not what grace is about. Right? And this is, this is a common misception, something as maybe someone who, who grows in Christ may have questions about. Maybe the enemy would lie to them, and, and, and yet they would think, okay, this is something we struggle with. Right? Another common misconception of what sola gratia is not is it does not mean I don't need to do good works at all. Right? If, it's, if it's only by Christ's work, then, then I'm, 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 I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. And, and that is something sometimes the misconception or the abuse of sola gratia. And that is not true at all, right? Uh, we are called to do good works. And in verse um, 10 of today's passage, the last verse, um, it says, um, not by works, so I will do no work. Well, in verse 10, it says, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Right? This is the end. After Ephesians 2.8.9, the famous one, right? 10, it says, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. In the NIV, it says, We are God's handiwork. In the NLT, it says, We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are created for good works, but it's not to save ourselves, Right? Salvation is only by Christ's work on the cross, and that's it. We can't save ourselves. But the good works, we've been prepared by God beforehand as a way of life. Uh, we, he calls us into this, right? One thing that, um, that, uh, that kind of keeps coming back to me as I was getting ready for this message is uh, if you've been at Crossway for any, any amount of time uh, in the home groups, we've been going through... Uh, um, uh, in the last few years, we already finished with it, but we've been going through ex- Exodus, right? I think we've been going through Exodus. We went through Exodus for like 40 years, right? Went through it for a long time. And uh, uh, it, it just, just as long as the Israelites were in the desert, uh, hard to believe. And, um, I, you know, the, 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 to be honest, it's, it's, it was not an easy study to go through, and yet there was so much beauty there, um, one of the things that really sticks out to me is uh, Exodus 20, verse 2, right? Um, the Israelites, uh, with God's help, uh, was redeemed, delivered out of Egypt, escaped. And they get to cross the Red Sea. It's miraculous. And in Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the famous Ten Commandments and the laws. Uh, it is important to note, uh, as, as Paul and, 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 and in the study that we went through, it's important to know that Israelites were delivered. They were already delivered. They were already saved by God from slavery. And the law was given as a way to continue. They're in, 
God has saved them, redeemed them, and he wants to enter into this relationship with them. And the law was there so that they could have good relationship with God. It wasn't so that they could be, be, uh, be able to earn salvation. It wasn't there to, to, so that they could be uh, more loved by God, uh, so that they could be saved. No, they were already saved. But for some reason, as people, as, as I grew up in the church. When you grow up in the church, the, the, the law, the things that we have to do seems like a burden, Right? We feel so guilty, the do's and the don'ts. And, and, and it was going through the Exodus study for 40 years that I realized that, man, like, God already saved the Israelites. He already, he loves them. He saved them. He, re, he took them out already. And the law was given for them so that they could have right relations with him. But for some reason, over time, law has become something else. Right? It's a way for us to earn our place uh, with God, uh, 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 earn our, our seat at the table, earn favor, right? to garner some kind of merit because I stayed awake in Sunday service, you know, or, or I, I volunteered, or I, I gave, you know what I'm saying, I opened up my home. And so, no, we do those things because we've already been saved. And the good works that Christ calls us to, to be a part of has already, it's a beautiful, we are his, we He's made us for good works. Don't get me wrong. But the confusion is we, we get into this habit of, uh, because that's the, there's what? The world says there's no such thing as a free lunch. So we have to earn that. We have to earn that. Right? We perform. We people please. We take. Right? We do these things. Um, but, man, Exodus 20, I know it's kind of, why are we going to the Old Testament? Well, even in the Old Testament, God shows so much grace, right? Um, we don't do good works to be saved. We are saved by grace, and because we're made new, one commentator puts it, a Christian created in Christ Jesus unto good works will resemble the Samaritan and not the lawyer, right? In Luke uh, 10, um, the lawyer uh, is ju- trying to justify himself He's done all the good things, and so um, he wants to be justified. Jesus asks, who is my neighbor? And in that story, the neighbor is the Samaritan of all people. The Samaritan does good works, right? But in the story, uh, I mean, it's not a story about salvation per se, but he's not trying to save himself. He is, is loving. He's doing good works. And the good works that maybe the lawyer was trying to be about was so that he could be justified. He could earn that. And so... Um, I wonder if we can think about that in our lives as we, we think about if you're struggling with your intent, your motives, or good works. Am I trying to be the lawyer? Am I trying to be a Pharisee? Am I trying to be justified? Am I trying to be seen? Or am I being a good Samaritan? Am I trying to help somebody in need? Am I trying to serve somebody else? You know, we all struggle with motives. I mean, even here. Here I am standing here. On, sir, I struggle with the motives of being here. All right? Pride. Uh, trying to look good. These are all things that we struggle with. And, and, and to pretend like we don't, uh, you know, is silly. And I feel like just because we have motive issues, it doesn't mean we shouldn't continue in the good work that God has called us to do. Um, why is sola gratia still so important in today's world? It's easy to take God's grace for granted. 
I mean, that sounds silly as I just read it. I just told you how amazing grace is. And I think we would all agree, oh my gosh, amazing grace. And yet human nature, we take things for granted all the time, even really, really good things, right? Um, grace is amazing, but sometimes because of the numbness of life, grace is common. Grace is boring. Uh, if we could take our wonderful spouse who's sitting next to, to you, uh, that we see every day, that we love, and we can take someone like that for granted, and it happens all the time. It is quite possible for us to take our God for granted, our God's beautiful grace for granted. Um, and so what does it look like for us to not take God's grace for granted? God's grace for us is scandalous. We deserve the wrath of God, yet God pours out uh, his wrath on his own son to take our place. It's unimaginable. It, it's mind-blowing. Um, the scandalous message of the grace is, is so important still today. Um, this is, we cannot lose that as, as Protestants, as evangelicals, as Christians, as followers of Christ. This is the message. This is the good news. Um, Grace is simple, yet difficult to accept and to even believe that it is true. Um, I'm going to give an example of that in just a little bit um, as I, I share a little bit of my story. Um, this quote um, has a little bit of a foul word in it, so, but I'll take a risk this morning and share it. Uh, uh, it's from a book called Telling the Truth, the Gospel is Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. And it's a book that I've been reading for my preaching class. And man, uh, uh, I feel like it resounds uh, even with today's message. Um, it says, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. Man, that line is, that's a good one, right? The gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is news that the man is a sinner. And to use the old word, that he is evil in the imagination of his heart. That when he looks in the mirror all in a ladder, that he sees it at least eight parts chicken, phony, slob. Interesting choice of words. That is the tragedy, but it is also the news that he is loved anyway, cherished, forgiven, bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. It's unbelievable. It's laughable that the Son of God would come and take our place. And yet, so what? So what if even in, in, in his sin, the slob is loved and forgiven when the very mark and substance of his sin, of, of his slobbery, is what he keeps turning down, the love and forgiveness, because he either doesn't believe them or doesn't want them or just doesn't give a damn. In answer, the news of the gospel is that extraordinary things happen to him, just as in the fairy tales, extraordinary things happen. The gospel is bad news before it is good news. And a part of it, and, and I'm so grateful for Linda uh, who shared uh, her story today, but when you look in the mirror, when you really look in the mirror of who you are with your brokenness, your sinfulness, your deceitfulness, I mean, it's bad news. And good news can't come without the bad news first, right? The gospel is bad news before it is good news. Um, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. Amazing grace, right? Written by uh, John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What does he see? 
And he sees himself for who he really is, and he sees what God is doing. He sees God for who he really is. And um, he knew that he was not, John Newton knew he was a wretch, not deserving of grace. And um, this morning, uh, I would love to share a little bit of my story um, uh, as, 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 because one of the biggest experiences of grace that I have ever experienced started out with, with bad news, right? Um, actually, I will call it the worst and most shameful news in my life. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I had a big problem, right? Uh, it was a family secret as well. Uh, nobody else knew, right? I didn't share this with another human being, outside of my family until I was 21 years old, until I was an adult, right? It was like probably like three in the morning in college, so I was tired. Um, my guard was down. I was still scared, even as I shared with my roommate for the very first time. I thought he would laugh at me. I thought he would reject me. I thought I was so scared, right? Our issues, our struggles have such a stranglehold on us. It's impossible to share or confess because we don't really believe if grace is true. You know, we were not really sure, right? Um, so what is my problem, right? The problem that I had as a child was, uh, it was a bedwetting problem, right? Every night, I would destroy the mattress I would sleep on, right? Um, from my earliest memory, I would constantly wet the bed. Um, I didn't want to, right? Trust me, I didn't want to. I couldn't help myself. And uh, what made it particularly difficult was that my parents were missionaries. And so we moved from place to place and stay in different people's homes. And man, like, like clockwork, I would wet the bed. The, the queen-sized bed that we were sleeping at, at a nice person's you know, guest house. My poor mom would be up 2, 3 in the morning with, with, a, with a hair dryer, just drying that thing, right? Just drying. She's so embarrassed. So embarrassed because... I remember many nights waking myself up because I, I didn't wake up when I peed myself, but I woke up when it was cold. Some time had gone by, and I was freezing. And so that would wake me up. And like clockwork, I would get up, I would pick up the mattress, uh, this little mattress pad that I was on, I would hang it outside the house, uh, I'll, I'll go rinse myself, clean myself up, put on new clothes, and go sleep on the floor. Right? That was my routine. Almost every night, that was my routine. Uh, I still remember when... Um, I was five years old, uh, I wet my bed again, and my dad got so mad. He got so mad. He grabbed a baseball bat, and he just started beating me. I remember just bawling my eyes out, and I caught a glimpse of myself as I walked into the shower. I saw on my back seven welts, right? My dad was afraid for my future. And at the time, I was a Korean citizen, and he was afraid that when I would go to the Korean army, and, and, and if I was still a bedwetter then, man, they would beat me up. I'd be socially ostracized. Um, my mom was afraid for my future. She would look at me, and she would tell me, who's going to marry you? Who's going to marry you? I was five. Who's going to marry you? <laughs> man, my mom tried everything. I couldn't drink any water after 6 p.m. I was so thirsty. I would pray long, Hail Mary-type prayers, just mustering as much faith as I could. I believe in a God of miracles. Heal me, Lord. And then I would go to sleep. Some nights I would wake up, and the bed was dry. Hallelujah! 
But other nights, I would wake up and uh, it was cold and wet again. Um, and it would make me wonder, is there a God that hears my cries? Um, my mom even took me to uh, traditional Chinese medicine, right? The doctor, right? You go in there with the herbs and the drawers and the rhino's horn. I would sit down and he would take my pulse and would say, your bladder's so weak. And I would be like, how, how did you know? How did you know? Did my mother tell you? Uh, and we would boil these Chinese medicine. It tasted like death, right? And no matter how much sugar you throw in there, you can't sugarcoat death. You can't sugarcoat death. One day when I was um, 11 years old, I visited my grandmother in Korea. And my grandma is a prayer warrior. And uh, she's also a tough, tough Korean woman who raised two boys, my dad and my uncle, as a single mom during the Korean War. See, she's tough as nails, right? It was winter in Korea, and uh, in Korea, the heating system is such where the floor, the stone floor, is heated uh, by burning uh, something outside the house, and it just heats the whole house. So it comes from the bottom up. It can get real hot, real hot. So you can't lie down bare skin. You've got you to wear something. And, and uh, I was 11 years old. My parents were somewhere else with my brother, and I stayed with my grandmother. And that night, uh, one night as I was staying over, we had the blankets on the ground. There's no beds in Korea for some reason. They don't believe in beds. They sleep on the floor. And um, as I was sleeping one night, uh, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. Um, it was warm. The hot floor had kept it warm. <laughs> it's a new experience. And it smelled so bad. It smelled so bad. Um, I looked at my grandmother, and she started to wake up. She was right next to me. And I went into a panic. I was gripped with fear. Uh, my, and my grandmother s sat up, and she looked around. She was confused. She looked at me. She smelled something. And she raised her arm. And I braced myself for a smack on the head, right? But it was not a blow to the head. It was her arm embracing me, pulling me close to her. I cried so hard. That night, it wasn't my grandmother who hugged me. It was Christ. Christ had embraced me in my filth. In my stench, in my shame, he received me just as I am. And I'm blown away by his grace. You know, it, it, it's, it sucks being a bedwetter in any culture, but it sucks to be one in the Korean culture especially. Because I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, so for some of you guys who are Korean or have you know, Korean friends, when you're a bedwetter, man, they ask you to go ask for salt from neighbors are you guys aware of this, right? It's like, I remember, you know, wetting my bed as a child. My parents, go ask the neighbors for some salt. And, like, we were living in Singapore, right? We were in Korea. So I was like, they're not going to know what this means, you know? I'll go ask for some sodium chloride, right? So I'll go ask for some salt. And, and basically what asking for salt is, I'm unclean, right? As the lepers would walk the streets, they would say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Because they're ceremonially unclean, and they don't want you to get dirty. And so me as a child, I had to walk over and ask for salt. And ask for salt, it's, it's a shaming, it's horrible, it's horrible, right? You ask for salt. Um, 
Uh, and even as I share this story, by God's rich mercy, um, um, in about a year or so, or maybe a couple of months after that time, I was healed of wetting of my bed. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I remember sharing the story. I, I had parents come up to me and tell me that uh, their kids struggle with it, or I had a grown adult come to me, secretly tell me that this is something that they struggle with as well, and my heart just sank. Um, you know, now I'm a dad of two girls, and I could not be more proud of my two girls. They're six and three, and they're better than me because they don't have bedwetting. Uh, they don't have that. Praise God, right? Uh, but oddly enough, even as I was getting ready for this message three days ago, my oldest daughter of six runs into our room at five in the morning crying. She tells me, I'm sorry, Daddy. And I asked her, what's going on? And she had wet her bed. I immediately hug her. I embrace her. I spring into action. I know what to do. <laughs> I've done this a thousand times. I take her to the bathroom. I give her a rinse. I tell her I love her. She gets changed. She sleeps in my bed. Um, later that day after school, um, she tells me, Daddy, I'm so sorry for wetting the bed. So sorry. I said, oh, no, no worries. I, 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 for, I forgive you. I'm not mad at you. It was an accident. It's okay. And a few, uh, a, few hour, a few hours go on, and she comes back to me again. In tears, she tells me, Daddy, I'm so sorry for wetting the bed. And I tell her again, it's, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. I don't hold it against you. Earlier when Daddy said, I forgive you um, already, did you not think that Daddy was speaking the truth? And she said, I thought you were joking. I thought you were still mad at me. I told her, no, I, I love you. I forgive you. And she cried so hard. And there was still so much shame and fear. And it made me so sad that my daughter thought I was mad at her and held her accident against her. I think as the people of God, we may struggle with really believing that we are forgiven. It's hard. It's hard to accept God's grace and believe that he really forgives us. Our continual struggle with that causes us to pursue other ways to save ourselves, right? Or to find other um, ways to earn God's approval or love. Whether it's being busy with the church stuff or just trying to be more spiritual or trying to be right in the eyes of men, in the eyes of God. Even as I got ready for this, this message, um, this is complex. Grace is simple and yet it's so difficult for us to truly believe and truly accept it for, for truth. And as earlier, the, the, the gospel is, is good news before it's bad news. It talks about tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. The gospel is a fairy tale that is true. The, the, the Lord, full of mercy, he forgives us. I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know if this is something that you're still trying to figure out. That you may never say it with your words, but your actions say otherwise, that you're trying to save yourself or trying to do what's right because you don't really believe that a God can really forgive 
those things that I did, right? Sin has been a burden on you, and you've tried to circumvent Christ. You tried to go out of God's means to save yourself, and I'm here to say that doesn't work. And I think you already know that. But this is something we still still struggle with, right? God in heaven is saying to us, hey, I forgave you. I forgive you, right? How, How do we choose to believe that? How do we, I don't know. I'm not really sure how that happens. Um, I believe it's going to be talked about next week, so I don't want to get into that. <laughs> um, we uphold um, sola gratia by choosing to accept and believe God's grace. Again, such a simple thing, but I don't think it's easy. And this is something that we need to choose to do. Being grateful for the gift of grace. And I think as we worship God, not only in our Sunday services, but in our lives, to truly sit down, whether in your quiet time or in in just a short breath prayer, to be grateful for the grace that God gives us is something that we need to engage in, right? Because we are truly grateful. I mean, this is the best gift that we've, we've gotten ever, you know? This is it. And even as I shared in my story, uh, man, as painful as what I had to go through with my own shame, man, I still remember the first time I shared that at a youth retreat many years ago. I think I was like 24, and I shared that story, and I was shaking. I was shaking. I was crying, like, you know, ugly snot crying. And uh, it was such a shameful thing. And I remember coming off the stage after sharing that at a retreat, and the worship band, was, there was a response time. And I just, I just f- fell to the ground, just weeping. Because I couldn't believe that God would use such a shameful and broken part of my life. And ultimately, God gets all the glory, right? There's nothing I could have done as a bedwetter to, to, to save myself in that sense, to heal myself. There's nothing. There's no medicine in the world. There's no willpower. There's no, I, I couldn't, right? Um, and yet, even in that, and because I got to experience that, I was able to extend grace. It's, it sounds simple, but to, even to my daughter who was struggling with that, right? And to extend, to live out grace by extending and showing grace to others, and, and that is how we uphold sola gratia, right? The grace that God extends to us, we extend that to others as well. Um, I have a final quote to kind of finish our time together. From Carl Truman again. He says, um, Grace, we might say, is a response, an application of God's character and attributes to human rebellion. Grace is the aspect of divine action by which God blesses his rebellious creatures, whether through preservation, common grace, or salvation, special grace. It characterizes the manner in which he deals with those who through their rejection of him as their creator and sovereign deserve nothing from him, and yet whom he still chooses to bless. In salvation in particular, the character of grace is manifest. A loving God, faced with the rebellion of his creatures, desires to bring them back into communion with himself. 
Yet his holiness cannot simply allow their sin to pass without response. For if God allows our unholy rejection of him to stand, he is contradicting his own nature, holy nature. The answer is grace, action on God's part, motivated by love and shaped by by holiness, which takes account of the seriousness of sin, yet brings sinners back into communion with him. As we live out grace by extending and showing grace to others, we get to be salt and light. As we are grateful for the gift of grace, uh, we choose not to take it for granted. We choose to give glory to God. And by choosing to accept and believe God's grace, we enter into a free and true communal relationship with our Lord and Savior. I love to pray for our time uh, in closing. Let's pray. Lord, we, are, we were dead in sin, unable to save ourselves. And out of your rich mercy, Lord, you call us out of the tomb. You give us new life. We, we are grateful for the work of Christ. For it is by grace alone that we are saved, not by our human works. Lord, forgive us for the many different ways we try to save ourselves, the many different ways that we try to reject your grace, the many different ways that whether it be the enemy lies to us or condemns us, we, we don't believe, we just don't truly accept it. Lord, as we take this time to think about your grace, to learn about your grace, to experience your grace, Lord. I pray that it moves us as a body, as a church, to live out sola gratia, to live out by grace alone in all aspects of our lives. We're grateful for the work you've done, Jesus. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.